Hallelujah, Jesus. Father, we thank you and we bless you today. We give you glory and we honor you today, God, for just what you're doing in the midst of us. We ask you even now, Father, in Jesus' name, that you continue to abide with us today as we go into the ministry of your word. Give us an ear today to hear what the Spirit of the Lord say unto the church. Father, give us a willingness to do. Father, give us truth this morning from your word. We thank you for it. We thank you, Lord, for this atmosphere that is charged with faith today. That as we hear your word, it's going to be planted into good ground today. It's going to yield fruit today, 100-fold. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Somebody say, I received this morning. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody say it again. I receive. Glory to God. I want to, uh, this morning, give me, uh, give me just a little more tea. I wanted this morning, hey, there you go, to uh, continue what we uh, began last week as we began to talk about uh, biblical Christianity versus cultural uh, Christianity. And I want to go, uh, amen, through just a couple things that we discussed last week. Leave that open, Deacon. Leave that open. Leave that open. Folks will start fanning and make me feel like y'all, how y'all, y'all want to turn the air on? All right, not yet. Amen. We don't want, we don't want anybody fanning. Amen. It makes me nervous when you're fanning. It makes you distracted from what's going on. We want you comfortable. Amen. Uh, Caleb, let's go back to last week's. Uh, some of definitions from last week. We began last week a series of messages. Uh, we began to talk about biblical Christianity. Leave that open, uh, Brother Prince. Biblical Christianity versus cultural Christianity. And so we want to look at the definition from cultural Christianity first. Uh, cultural Christianity, the, belief, the behavior or belief characteristics of a particular social, ethnic, or age group who distort the image of God and his word to fit their own cultural values of cultural wants, ideas, and values. So oftentimes what begins to happen in the culture that we live in, <clears throat> we have a set of beliefs, we have a set of behaviors, we have a set of values that we hold dear to, and then because of that, we begin, or with that, we begin to distort the image of God and the word of God and began to try to make God's word fit our wants, fit our ideas, and fit into our value system. How many of us understand that when you begin to go down that road and you try to distort God's word to fix you or to fit you, God's not going to be pleased with that, amen? So the thing that we have to be willing to do as Christians, if we're going to say that we are believers, if we're going to say that we are Christians, we are not going to allow the culture to dictate to us who we are, our systems of belief, and how we value certain things. Go to the next one, Caleb. Biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is to be joined to God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. His word of redemption, his word 
of redemption on the cross uh, now uh, and his word, the Bible becomes our final authority in a person's life by which, we, by which they now shape their ideas and values. So when I become a Christian, when I become born again, everybody say born again. When I become born again, when I have the born again experience, then the Bible becomes where I shape my ideas. Amen. The Bible becomes the place where I get my value system. Amen. The Bible becomes the final authority in my life. Amen. So it, I am not going to allow the culture, what's going on on the outside, to dictate to me who I am and how I shape my thought process and my belief systems. And we talked about it last week, how cultural Christians, and I believe the church right now is filled with cultural Christians, cultural preachers. Amen. Because we have allowed the thought process of the world and the culture that we live in to now dictate to us the systems of belief that we have. We have now began to try to distort the image of God and the word of God to make it fit what seems right in the culture. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want anybody to feel like that we're not tolerant. We don't want anybody to feel as if we're leaving them out. But how many of us understand in the book of Amos, Amos talks about a plumb line. And a plumb line is a carpenter's term. When a carpenter is building something, he has a plumb line, which he begins to construct his building from. And the plumb line is that center it is the rate, it is the center mark of how the, 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 the construction of his building is going to take place. And the farther and farther off the plumb line is, the weaker the building is going to be. Amen. And so the thing that we've got to begin to do in the body of Christ and as born again believers, let me hear you say born again. Born again believers, the Bible now has to become the plumb line for my life. Irregardless of what the culture is saying, irregardless of what society is doing, irregardless of how things are happening around me, the Bible now has to become the, the, the place where I shape my values, the place where I get my ideas and thought processes from. I have to renew my mind to the word of God. And now he becomes, the Bible becomes my final authority. We, we joke here at the church with Elder Harrington because one day we were in, uh, in was it, uh, marriage enrichment. We were having a discussion amongst the, 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 the couples and, and he out of nowhere just declared or made a statement, what the words say. What's the word? What, what does the word say? And so we coin that. Every time you hear somebody say what the words say, we make a reference to Elder Harrington. Somebody said something about making some t-shirts out of it or something, but Maybe, maybe next time. Amen. And so it is all about 
what does the word of God say about what I'm dealing with in my life? Amen. And so when we allow God's word to become the final authority for our life, then we don't run to the culture to get the answers. We run to him, Christ, to get the answers. Amen. So, so quickly, just, just look at a couple of things last week that we looked at just quickly. I want to give an overcap, a review of some things that we looked at last week. We talked about um, salvation. How does the culture see salvation? Today's culture teaches that there are many ways to God. Um, Christ is not the only way. Um, there are many thought processes, many secular humanistic ways. There are many ways to obtain eternal life or the better life after that. Well, because I am a born-again Christian, somebody say born again. The Bible is the final authority in my life. So irregardless of what the culture is saying, irregardless of how many people say there is many roads to God, how many people say that Christ is not the only way, as far as I believe as a born-again believer, somebody say born-again believer, Christ is the only way. Amen? The Bible says in the book of John, uh, uh, I mean in the book of Matthew, that ye shall call his name Jesus and he shall save his people from their sin. Jesus is the only way. The Bible in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall what? Believe it in him shall not perish but rather have what? Everlasting life. Jesus said that I am the way I am the truth. I am the what? Light. No man comes to the Father except by who? Him. He's the only way. Irregardless of what Oprah say. Irregardless of what some of these other preachers say. With this inclusion doctrine, with this thought process that there are many roads to God. Irregardless of what they say, we've got to go back where? To the Bible, to the word, and we have to find out what the word says. And then because I'm a born again believer, that's my final authority. That's why I stand my ground. That's why I put my roots at. And then I am not going to be moved by any wind or doctrine that comes by that the culture is preaching because I am a biblical Christian. I've been born again and I have biblical roots in the word of God. Amen. Amen. Salvation. We talked about salvation a little bit last week. We talked about, amen, um, <laughs> how people see the Bible. We said the culture teaches that the Bible is a collection of rules. Uh, it's a, it's a, a collection of stories and myths. Uh, it's good to use to have a good life. It's not inerrant, meaning that it has, it has some error in it. The culture teaches that. It has some error in it, that the Bible is not error-free. So that's to suggest. Now watch this. Now you got to see the subtleties of the enemy. So, Brother Prince, if they say that the Bible has error in it, then they're really saying God has error in him because he is the author of the Bible. You have to catch the subtleties of it. 
of the tricks of the enemy. Because if I am to say that, that the Bible does not have error or has error in it, then I am literally saying that there is error in God. And how many of us understand that there's no error? He is perfect. Amen. There's no error in God. Amen. I, 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 do I got born again believers in here that believe in the Bible? Amen. And so the thing that we've got to understand is that when the culture tries to pressure you about the scripture, you've got to understand that the scripture was God breathed. The scripture was inspired by God. He used holy men of old to write it. And he canonized it, meaning he closed it up in Revelation. He put everything in here that is essential for salvation and not just salvation alone, but to live a righteous, holy life in the earth until we go back to meet him in the air. Everything that we need. I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but if your toes get stepped on, they just get stepped on. All these lost books of the Bible... All this extra biblical references, extra biblical texts, all that stuff is good if for history's sake. But when you start talking about the book right here, God put everything in here that we need to live by right now. And not live by just right now, but live eternally with him. Amen. You got to be careful. Somebody say, I got to be careful. When you start investigating things that are not in here. When you start investigating stuff that's not in the canon, that's not in the 66 books, you have to understand that God put everything in here that we need. They lost for a reason. Amen. We talked about, <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. It's because there's some recent things today. We talked about last week. We talked about sin, how the cultures view sin. Culture looks at sin as a normal part of life. We have a tendency to ignore it in our life and ignore it in the lives of others. We don't want to offend anybody but talking about sin. We use this, this common cliche, God understands I'm just a human then we even try to throw scripture in it and say that my flesh my, my spirit is willing but you know my flesh is weak and we then began to try to justify sin how many of us understand there ain't no justification for sin Amen. I didn't get a rousing response for that there's no justification for it. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Amen. So you will pay a wage for sin. Amen. If you continue to live in sin, if you continue to practice sin, you will pay a wage for that. Wages of sin and death. So we've got to understand the, the biblical reference of sin, how we look at sin. Sin leads to two things. It leads to death spiritually and death Physically. Amen. Brings a bondage into my life. The Bible says who the son has set free is what? Free indeed. And so what did he, what did he set us free from? 
Jesus, the Bible says in Matthew 1.21 that he shall save their, his people from where? Their sin. He comes into the earth. He dies the punishment of the cross to save us from sin. Paul says now that we're under the grace, should we continue in sin? God forbid. So we've got to get the proper perspective of sin. We cannot allow the culture to dictate to us that sin is just a part of life. Sin is normal. Everybody has it in their life. We just deal with it and keep on moving. We ignore it. Don't deal with it. We ignore it in the lives of our brothers and sisters and don't deal with it. And we still come to church and we raise our hands. It's tight. We still come to church and we sing on the praise team. We still come to church and we preach in the pulpit. And we are not dealing with sin that's in our life. And the culture says that's okay because you're human. The devil is a lie. That's not okay. So we've got to understand, biblically, if I'm a Christian, I, I tell people to judge their salvation by this. If you can sin, Brother Paul, and you know you're sinning, you are practicing sin. And there is no conviction in your heart for the sin. You might need to revisit your salvation moment. Because the moment you get saved, the moment you become born again, now the Spirit of God lives inside of us. And the Holy Spirit of God that's in us brings conviction of sin. Amen. And so if you are one who is able to practice sin on a regular basis and then you come to the house of God and God meets you there in your home or driving down the car and the Holy Spirit quickens in your mind what you just did, in your heart, what you just said. And conviction does not come over your life that will cause you to repent. That will, that, that, that will cause, godly sorrow causes somebody to repent. Not just feel bad because you did it. But it will cause you to come to this altar, not to talk to me, but to talk to him. Because it's not me that you sinned against, it's him, Amen. And, and so we've got, to, we've got to understand, biblically, as born-again believers, because of the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of me, he brings conviction in my life. And he will not allow us to live like we used to live, amen? He will not allow us to do the things that we used to do without bringing conviction, and then it's up to us to yield to the conviction of God. And repent, amen? Y'all gonna make me work hard this morning, boy. That's all right, though. I got something for you. Amen. You know, I ain't never scared, Sharon. You know that. Amen. Watch this. Let's look at a couple of things this morning. Amen. Most people, I'm gonna start off with the easy one first before we get to the next one. Most people today, the culture, sees Christianity as a, another religion 
that's practiced in the earth. That's how they look at it. Caleb, give me the definition that we put up there for religion. Religion, a set of beliefs, rules, practices, or moral codes. Next one. Religion is rules without relationship that cause chaos. Rules without relationship that causes chaos. And I know it's not an S on that, Pastor Stephanie. That cause chaos. That cause chaos. So here you are. You have this code, these ethics, this behavior, these rules, this framework that you're trying to live your life by, but you have no relationship with the one who is dictating that stuff into your life. It's like a parent and a child. Let's, let me, let me, let's do a little parenting this morning. If you have children and you are a do as I say, not as I do mom and dad, you will always have problems in your home. Because you are dictating something to your children and if you are a do as I say, that lets me know that there is no relationship between you and your child. So when you have a do as I say mentality and you don't have a relationship with the one that you are dictating those things to, then that will cause them to have a, a rebellious, chaotic moment in their life. Because you're telling them to do as I say and they seeing you do as you do. Amen. So Stephanie and I, Pastor Stephanie and I have taken this approach with our children in this upbringing. We are not just do as I say, but we do as I do. Amen. So you look at my life and you do as I do. Amen. And then in that we develop relationship. We have conversation with our children. We love them. We're affectionate toward them. Every morning, when he gets out of the car, the, I don't have to say it. I love you, Dad. I love you too, son. I can't have a bad day. He done picked that up too. No bad days. Caleb, love your pops. That's his pops. I love you, son relationship. So when I have to dictate something into their life, it does not bring a chaotic moment because they understand where the one who is dictating coming from. Amen. So religion says do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. But you have no relationship with the one who is doing the dictating. Our stance as Christians, I tell people all the time, you know, that when they start talking about it, I say, I don't practice religion. I have a relationship. And then my relationship with Christ is now what dictates in my life 
how I live, what I do, what I say, where I go, what I don't do. So Christianity, go to the next one, Caleb. Christianity is this. Did I give you something? I didn't give you that. Let me read that. Christianity is this. A personal relationship through faith. So I say, a personal relationship through faith. Uh, yeah. A personal relationship through faith with Jesus Christ. Personal. Paul, it's personal. It's, 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 you, it's you and Christ having relationship. Now, when I talk to people about having relationship, how do you develop relationship? Answer, if it is someone that you want to know or get to know in a relationship, you have a tendency to spend more, more time with them. Many of us, our relationship with Christ is not where we desire it to be or where it needs to be because we have neglected to spend time with him. Amen. And so the culture says religion, this, 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 and this. But biblical principle says my relationship with Christ is a personal one. And in order for me to get to know him, then I spend time with him. Amen. Come on, let's look at some scripture this morning. Go to John. John 17. How many of us understand that what we do, we do by faith today? Amen. Go to John Chapter 17, verse number 20. See, religion takes no faith. You just do it. I'm going to say that again. Religion takes no faith. You just do it. If that's what they say you're supposed to do, then that's what you do. Amen? Watch this. John 17, verse number 20. Neither pray I for these alone... But for them, amen, let me go back up a couple, y'all. Let me go back, get some context. Verse 17, verse John 17, 17. Sanctify them through faith. I mean, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So Jesus is talking to the Father about us, amen. And he said, sanctify them through truth. Your word is truth. So as a biblical Christian, as one who understands I have this relationship with Christ, I don't practice a religion, but I have a personal relationship with Abba Father through my, through my Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, what's going to happen to us is God is going to sanctify us through the truth of his word. Amen? So whenever you get into the word, you get into truth. That's why the enemy keeps you from the word. Because he don't want you sanctified by truth. Boy, that's good preaching right there. You struggle in your devotion. You struggle in your prayer time. You struggle in your reading of the word. You struggle coming to church. Because if you get here, sanctification comes through the preaching of his word. Amen. Through the reading of his word. He says, so sanctify them. Watch Jesus. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. As though, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, 
I sanctified myself that they also may be sanctified through truth. So Jesus says the reason why that we're able to enjoy sanctification, a setting apart in my life for the work of God is because he set himself apart. That we might be set apart. Amen. Watch this. Let's get to where we want to be at. Verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but them also which shall believe on me through their word. So that's where we come in. So the first part, he was talking about the apostles who was there with him. Now, this part says, I'm not just praying for them right here, but it's going to be some that going to come after me that's going to believe in me because of the word that the apostles preach. How many of us in here are that person right there? We look at the scripture that the apostles preached. We look at the epistles of Paul. We look at all the things that God used, uh, uh, the prophets of old, and we have come to the conclusion that salvation and salvation alone is found in Jesus Christ. Amen? Watch this. So he says this. Verse 21. That they may be, that they may, that they all may belong as thou. Hmm? That they all may be one. I'm sorry, I'm, re, I'm in the wrong scripture. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I where? In thee. That they also be one in us, that the world may believe, watch this, that thou hast sent me. This is the difference between religion and having a personal biblical relationship with Christ. First of all, you and I have an opportunity Become one with the Father through Christ. And then, watch this, Aaron, when people look at your life, they believe, not you, but they believe that God sent Jesus. See, that's how our life has to be. You know, I know we used to sing, we sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. you got to let your light shine so that somebody else believes. That's, that's a place to shout right there. Prince, your light has to shine so bright that somebody comes in contact with your light and believes that God sent Jesus into the earth just because your light is shining. Religion doesn't say that. Religion says, here's some rules, you just do it. My relationship with Christ is one, Joshua, that is so personal that I began to be like him. I began to be like Jesus in earth. I began to be co-laborers with him. So religion says, here's some rules, follow them. My relationship with Christ says be like Christ. Become like him. And then just like him, Keanu, people will see your light and know that God has sent Christ in the earth. What a testimony. What a testimony, Paul, that your life would be so uh, KT, I was going to say your real name, but it, I couldn't get it out fast enough. But your life would be so that someone, the Terrence, would come in contact with you and say, you know what? I want to know Jesus. 
seems that your life would be so powerful that someone would come in contact with you and say, you know what? I need what you got. That's biblical Christianity. That's a biblical relationship with Christ because he now lives inside of us and the power of God begins to change people, not only us, but the people that we come in contact with. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's deal with something else this morning that the culture is dealing with today. Let's look at this. I'm going to say the best for last. The culture says this. When it comes to our abilities, our abilities, the culture says that it is our human ability, it is our human wisdom, it is our human thought process that has gotten us to the place where we are today. Now watch this. And when I can't handle something, I'll give a little help from God. It's only elder when I can't handle it. Y'all, y'all, just examine your life. You said, I can do this, I can do this. Who, this looks just a little bit too hard for me. I better ask God about this. Instead of saying that it is God who gives me the abilities to do all that I do, and then in everything, I consult him. I was talking uh, to a friend of mine's daughter the other day, and she made a a declarative statement that she did not believe in God. And all of this, you know, was just something that was made up. And I can tell she's been in some philosophy classes because I hear the rhetoric to keep people in line or at bay. And I'm thinking to myself, she says, it's all a lie. And I ask her this question, that has to be the best lie ever told. If it is, is if, if, if it is a lie, you know, you might get away with a lie for a couple weeks. But multiply thousands of years, we have just kept the lie going. And I, I say, do you really believe that? It's just a lie, Charlie. It's all a lie. I'm like, boy, that's the best. I've never heard one so good. Because it's still going on. She says that it's all about us being enlightened. I can listen. I'm hearing the philosophy. I'm hearing some Buddhism in it. And I asked her this question. I said, do you really think that when you look at the world as a whole, how 
definitely spaced out the planets are and how the earth is just so far enough away from the sun that it will keep us warm in the, in, in the, in the, in the summer times and we turn during the winter time. It goes up, the sun does. He knows when to come down. And I said, then when you look at the creation of the very makeup of your body, the very makeup of your body, you, you have things in your body that involuntarily do stuff. You know what involuntary means? You don't have to tell your heart to beat. It just knows to beat. You don't have to tell your lungs to inhale and exhale. Unconsciously, you just breathe. I begin to talk to her like that and say, so you really believe that your eyes, watch this, Stephanie, your eyes know when it's drying out and your blinking of your eyelids knows to close your eyes to, to, to bring some moisture to your member. You really think that all of that just evolved. Just that very little concept right there. You got hair growing in your nose. Because God knew that it would be dust in the air and you would need hair follicles to trap the... You really think... You, you, really, you really think that. You, you really think that your ear drum is made with a little sensor on the inside that would cause you to be able... Now, listen to this. We understand hearing as we have understood it, but actually, the words that I'm speaking to you is simply sound that is then translated in your ear and you understand what I'm saying. It is a sound wave. This is not actually a word that's coming out of my mouth. It is a sound wave. And then when it gets in your ear, you have an ability to transform what I've said. And then your brain, you really think. All of that just evolved. From a tadpole. Come on, man. That is, Deacon T. Come on, man. That, that, is, that is, it is ridiculous to think that. Stardust, Jamin. So you, Christopher and them was watching something on TV one day, and the man said that, that we're all just tajering made up of stardust. From this bang, I'm like, Christopher and them start laughing because they think, stardust. I'm like, dang, Joshua, we got stardust in you. Come on, man. The Bible says that we are made in the image of God, and then God breathes in us the breath of life. But the culture, the culture now says that this is where we are. We have our own thought processes. We are humans and we are the highest beings on the food chain. We think like no other animal or creation 
And I'd be telling them, Mike, because you're made in the image of God. So our abilities come from him. It is not myself that has the ability. It is not how great I think. It is not how well I'm educated. It is not all those things are good. Don't get me wrong. All those things are good. We need to go to school. We need to better ourselves. We need to do all the things that we can naturally do. But at the end of the day, it is God in me. Christ in me, which is my hope of glory. Watch this. Genesis says this, that I was made in the image of God. Amen. Go, go to Galatians right quick. Galatians chapter 2. Verse number 20. Let's read this right quick. Is this helping anybody so far? Yes. Amen. Watch this. Let's look at Galatians 2 right quick. Galatians 2. Watch this. Verse number, verse number 20. Watch this. Verse number 19 says, For though I, for though the law am dead, for for though the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified. Somebody say crucified. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Watch this. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen what, to, what Paul says. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. So really, I'm not alive. I'm dead. The old me is dead, right? And I am risen with him, but watch this. He says, nevertheless, I live. So my life that I once had, it is crucified with Christ, but nevertheless, I live. Watch this. Yet not I, but the Christ that liveth inside of me. So we've got to understand, this is how I equate my living. I equate my breathing with Christ in me. I breathe because he is inside of me. He has purpose for me in this earth and he is not yet finished with me doing what I need to do. Amen. So it's not I that live, but it's the Christ that lives inside of me. It is by him that I have my very abilities. It is by him that I have the thought process that I have. It is by him that I have the things that I'm able to do and acquire in my life. It is by him. Watch this. He says, and the life which I now live in the flesh. So this life that we're living in the flesh, the flesh living in this flesh right here, not, not the acts of the flesh, but we're actually living this life in this flesh and blood that we're in. He says, I live by, by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the life that I live in the faith, in the flesh, I live by my faith in him. Not my abilities, not my my, 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 my thought process, my education, all those things are great, but I've got to understand it is only by him. Jessica, where you at, Jessica? 
little Jessica, little Jessica, where's she? She in the back. Jessica, I want all of us in here, go to school, go to college. We got seniors graduating this year that are getting ready to Joshua. Go to college. We got, we, we got ladies and men that have went back to school. Understand, when you go back to college, you, you gather all the information that you can gather, but understand when you get there that it is the Christ that lives inside of you, not some vain philosophy of men. Not some thought process of somebody who wrote a book. Even in seminary, that is where you go learn the Bible. Before the seminary that I went to, that I actually graduated from, Pastor Stephanie and I, I started at another seminary, and Mike, I was just getting what I had to get in order to get the grade that I needed. But I would be sitting there looking at them people like, man, y'all got to be out y'all mind. Have you, have you not read? It is Christ in me that lives. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He, he gives me, he, by, I, by, in, by Christ, what I can do what? All things. I can do all things through him. I can do all. It is through him that I can do all things. Once we move Christ out of the equation and I begin to try to do all things into myself, I become an idol unto myself. I worship me. Most religions, when you peel off the orange, the, uh, the, the, the hull of the orange, it get down to me. What I can do, what I say, how I act, my moral character, my moral this. You have to come to the understanding as a believer. If Christ did not live inside of us that believe, we would be every, the Bible says every man did what was right in his own eyes. And I used to do what was right in my own eyes. And that's all I'm going to say about that. You got to understand, it is not us. And that's what the culture will teach you. In school, in, in the school system today, it's, it's, about, it's about you. It ain't about God. It's not about Christ. It's about you. It's about you. It's about you. They want to try to get you to the point that it's about you. Stephanie and I, a long time ago, when we took one of our nieces to school, it had changed so much. She was registering to go to college. And literally... Literally, they, they looked at us as if we were not even there. She had to give us permission to do certain things. I'm like, I'm, I'm the adult. She wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for me. I'm the one coming down here. I'm the one bringing her here. We the one just drove her up here. And they look at you like, because they want to get them to a thought process that is about them. You don't have to have any authority. You don't have to submit to anyone. It's about you. And we don't play that at my house. It's a mom and daddy there. Amen. Amen. Watch this. So it is not us that gives ourselves the abilities as the culture tells us, but it is Christ in us. Amen. Amen. Let's deal with the elephant in the room and we're going to be through. Go to... Uh, Go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
One of the most disturbing things that we have today in the body of Christ that is rampant in the body of Christ is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. The culture says this, that it is normal, it is all right, it is what supposed to happen between, now watch this, a man and a woman, a woman and a woman, and a man and a man, whoever wants to get down. Whoever. And unfortunately, that has crept into the church. And sexual immorality, perversion, now is prevalent throughout the body of Christ. And we have an immoral outlook on it. Immoral. Every man is right to do what's right in his own eyes. And so, I'll stand up here when I talk about this. Because I'm going to preach to myself. And so from the pulpit on out, sexual immorality reigns. You can have pastors that do all manner of things sexually. And no one even blinks an eye anymore. I mean, it catches nobody off guard when pastors are found in some type of sexual immoral position. And then you even now have the nerve as pastors to justify what you did. And we wonder why I can't keep the men from hitting on the ladies, the ladies from hitting on the men, the men from sleeping with little boys, and the ladies from chasing little girls. Because it started right here. The anointing that's in a house will flow from the pastor on down. Let's just deal with it where it is. And the culture says it's okay. It is all right to have premarital sex. It is all right to have extramarital affairs. Homosexuality is being forced down our throats to tolerate it. And we have allowed it to come into the church. So now we got homosexual pastors who pastor homosexual churches. We got whoremongering pastors who pastor whoremongering churches. And nobody says anything about nothing. As long as we come, we shout, we give tithe and offering elder, and we good. It ought not be so.
But the culture says, that's all right. My lifestyle, Paul says, has to be circumspect. Meaning someone ought to be able to peer into my life and be able to see my life. So let's just deal with it where it is. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. We're going to deal with this in the gamut of all sex. This is what the culture says. Sexual intercourse between willing partners is okay. Biblically, any type of sex outside of the covenant of marriage is wrong. Period. It is out of line with God. Any type of sex. Because see, now we get into what's sex and what's not sex. Is all really sex? Is masturbation sex? We're going to be real this morning. Is this this or is that that? And so the culture says it's okay. But anything outside of the covenant of marriage is illegitimate and illegal before God. Period. And so what we have allowed to happen is the culture to now dictate to us what's right and wrong because of the videos, because of the movies, because of the songs, because of all the things that, that promote sexual activity. It, it used to be a billboard. I asked uh, Pastor Stephanie one day, we were coming down 35. It was a Harley Davidson billboard selling Harley Davidson motorcycles. But it had a woman leaning over the handlebars of the motorcycle, and you couldn't see the motorcycle because of her breasts. So I'm asking Stephanie, what are they really trying to sell? And she said, this is her words. She said, stop looking, first of all. She said, stop looking. She said, stop looking. Second of all, she said, they're trying to tell you, if you get a Harley Davidson, you're going to get a woman with some breasts like that. So you got a bunch of middle-aged men running down to the Harley Davidson shop trying to buy a motorcycle. That's just what it is. And the thing that happens is this. We allow the culture to put that pressure on us, and then we from the pulpit, we don't want to really preach about it because a lot of us are doing it. And if I get too, if I get too radical with it, then somebody might not come to church next week. But we're just going to be real. Amen? And if y'all decide not to come back next week, me and my family are going to be here. Amen? Paul says this. Let's, let's look at this. He says in verse, in chapter uh, 6, he says, for, in verse number 12, for what have I to do, for what have I to judge them also that are, right, that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. So he's talking about within. Judging within. That's how we're going to judge today. We're not going to be concerned with those who are out. We're going, to, we're going to be concerned with what's going on right here within. Amen? Watch this. 
he says, verse number 13, but them that are without a belly for meats, without the belly for meats, but, but, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now, watch this. The body is not for fornication. The body is not for fornication. The body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. So your body is for God. If I am a Christian, if I am born again, I use my body in this earth for God. I yield myself to righteousness and I use my body, my hands, my mouth, my feet, my, my arms, everything that my body consists of, I use my body for the Lord. My body is not meant for sexual immorality. Amen? You, you, you have to understand whose you are and who lives inside of you. Amen? God, the Bible said, we'll get to it in a minute. The Bible says, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So when you perform sexual, immoral acts, fornication, adultery, and every other perversion that's going on in the earth today, when you engage in those things, you have now just presented your body, who the Lord lives in, into a perverse situation. The body is not for fornication, but it is for the Lord. And the Lord for what? The body. He needs our pure bodies to operate in the earth. Y'all got to get that this morning. You hear people saying this all the time and then it's a fallacy when you hear when you hear it and the way they say it, it is wrong. You know, God don't need us. Yes, he does. He needs us in the earth to be his representatives. Amen. And he needs our mouth to speak a word of truth. He needs our mouth to speak a word of love. He needs our hands to be able to reach out to those who are in need to actually show them who he really is. That's what we're here for. <clears throat> My life is to reflect him. He says, that the, let your light shine so they, they, that they may see your good works and do what? Not glorify you, but glorify your father. So I have to use my body for what it was intended for, and that is to bring glory to God. Amen? Let's, let's, let's deal with the elephant in the room. Watch this. Because our culture has tried to dictate to us on every level that this is okay. That it's fine. It's a natural uh, thing, but it should not be so. We deal with people all the time in marriage counseling, premarital counseling, 
the first thing, if you're sleeping together, stop. Amen. Amen. Before you get in this covenant, repent and stop doing it. That's all you got to do. Repent and stop because your body is not for fornication, but it's for the Lord. And the Lord is for your body. So if you're a believer, and you know, and so this is what this is this is the this is the thing. That it's my fiance. I have a I have a plan to marry them. Well, everybody got a plan. It just ain't time for the manifestation of it. We had a couple, and I was, we were, we were, we were about 30 days in t from the wedding, and I was messing with the young man, and said, all right, doc, you got 30 more days, and the young lady said, he'd been waiting for four years, so 30 more days ain't going to hurt him. <laughs> I said, show you right, girl. Show you right. Amen. The body is not for that. It is not for fornication. The body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now watch this. He says this. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up his own under his own power. So watch this. He says he raised up the Lord. He's going to raise up his own under his own power. God can give us the ability to withstand if we ask him for it. He, gonna, he raised up the Lord and he will raise up his own, amen. He will give us the power to abstain. I have a, I have a niece and we make sure she don't hear this tape. But I don't think she would mind. She had a child out of wedlock, a devastating relationship, and for years practiced celibacy until she got married. And she called me and her brother and said I had to go to the doctor to make sure everything was working right because it had been so long since I used it. But she's a blessed woman of God. God will give you the power. I said that he will give you the power to abstain if you ask him. And because of what she went through in the devastating relationship, she said, until somebody give me a ring, I'm just done. Amen. Watch this. He will raise, he raise up the Lord. He will raise up his own by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ. Your body is a member of Christ. Your body is a member of the body of Christ. And when we exercise these particular lustful acts in our body, it is as if we are putting Christ right there in the middle of it. Because we claim to be Christians. That's just that we got to deal with it. And so the thing that we cannot allow the culture to take 
dictate to us is to tell us that what we are doing is fine and is natural because you're a man or you're a woman and you have these desires and you have these, these passions. But you have to understand that if I am a born-again believer, then I am part of the body of Christ and I have to abstain until I enter into a covenant of marriage. You young people, don't even go there. Stay virgins, stay pure until you get a husband, until you get a wife, and then you won't, have, you won't know the difference. Be the best thing you ever had. Because you don't know no different. It ain't nothing to compare it to. It ain't nothing to think about. You're the only one, she the only one. And you're the best thing she ever had, he ever had. Amen. Let's just be real about it this morning. You ain't got to deal with the thought processes. You ain't got to deal with the emotional ties that you made with somebody else when you did what you were doing. You don't have to deal with that. She or he is the only tie you have. Amen. And so all of y'all just stay right there. Say, Lord, I would pray for our kids as Lord, keep their eyes closed until the one is there. Don't even let them see none of them. Until their eyes are open to the one that you have for them. If you've already done that, repent. Amen. Amen. Repent. And say, God, you know what? My body is for you. You are for my body. I'm a member of the body of Christ and I'm abstaining until you send me my husband or wife. Amen. That's it. That's just a book. Watch this. <clears throat> and then, and then th shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? God forbid. So Paul says, so I take what belongs to Christ, and, I, and we're going to be through in a minute, and make them join what God is giving me my body and join him with a harlot. Join them with somebody who is not in covenant relationship with me under God. God forbid. He said, don't do that. Don't do that. But the culture says it's okay. And you would not imagine some of the stuff that you hear that don't make the news. Some of the stuff that don't make the news. And so we've got to be careful with that, amen? amen? What now? What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body, for two shall become one flesh? Paul says he, he refers to it as a harlot because there's someone that is outside of the covenant of marriage. And marriage is this. And a, and a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall become. Keep them back there for me. I'm sorry, y'all. Keep them back there for me. Everybody, everybody go back. All the little ones go back. I'm sorry. All the little ones go back. And the two shall become one flesh. Biblically, the only way to become one 
one flesh for a man and his wife or wife and her husband is to have sexual intercourse. So every time you enter into a relationship with someone sexually, you have become one flesh with them. You have created a soul tie. The soul tie is not the bad thing if it's just with that one person. You are tied to them. But it's when we have entered into that with several people that were not our husbands or our wives, and now we have this tie, and another thing in premarital counseling we do is we tell them, you have to go back through your history and break every tie. Because when you show up that night to consummate marriage, everybody that you went with showed up. And so you have to go back and break the tie. Write it down and burn them. That's somebody that's been through counseling. You got to break the tie. I'm not saying share them with your, your fiancé because they might run them off. But I am saying you got to get before God, Elder. You got you to write this stuff down and you got to burn it. I mean, I'm just, I'm just being real. That's just what it is. He says, what you not know, what know ye not that which, which he which is joined with a harlot is one body for, uh, for two said shall become one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one what? Spirit. So join yourself to God, one spirit. Amen. Watch this. Flee fornication. The word flee, that literally means to run. Literally means to run. Joseph has a good picture of running from fornication. The Bible says that when Pharaoh's wife came on to him for the umpteenth time, he ran so and she reached to grab him that he ran out of his coat. That's how hard he was running, Deacon Mike. He ran out of his garment trying to get away from her. Flee. Somebody say flee. Flee, flee fornication. Run from it. Pastor Stephanie tell me to slap her, then run. <laughs> get your lick in and then run, baby. Her having a nerve to come on to you. Get your lick and run. Don't stay there. Amen. Watch this. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth without the body, but, every, but he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. So when I, when I, when, before I was saved, anything that I did that was, that was, that was, that was not sexual was did out without my body. I, I was doing it with my mind. I was doing it with my mouth. I was doing it with my actions and just literally walking away from God. But every time I committed an act of fornication, then it was something that I sinned against my own body. Now watch this. That's why the disease rate is so high. Sin 
is an avenue for sickness and death. And when you join yourself to a harlot who is not your wife, you open your, or your husband, you open yourself up to that which comes along with it. So that's why STDs are rampant. And if you live in the Oak Cliff area, zip code, it is per capita the highest area for HIV, HIV in the country. In the country, in the, in the United States of America. Thank you, 751, uh, 214, 216, all those, if it is the highest per capita in the United States of America. One out of three. One, two, three, one. One, two, three, two. One, two, three, three. We could go on and we'll have about 35 in this room before we could be done. One out of three has contracted through sexual intercourse the, the virus known as AIDS or HIV. That's why you got to flee it. That's why we got to stay pure. That's why we stay holy before God. We're not entering into this sin against our own body that now opens us up to this avenue of sickness and death in our life. The culture has said it is okay and you still come get your praise on. It ought not be so. We have to be, get to the point in our life that we don't judge others, we judge ourselves. And I've got to look at me. You remember a few months ago, and I'm through. You remember a few months ago, and I'm a, I got one more section that I want to deal with this next week, and then we're going to move on. But you remember a few months ago, I preached a series of sermons called All I've Got is My Witness. And our witness is to be, Paul says about the Macedonians, he says that their witness was so that he didn't even have to preach. Their witness was that powerful. He didn't have to say one thing. It was just because of the life that the people lived. And I have got to get to the point in my life that I sit, Brother Prince, in judgment on myself. I know what the word says, and I judge myself. And I look at myself in the mirror, and I say, Self, you are not going to yield your members to unrighteousness, but you are going to yield yourself to holiness and righteousness unto God. You have to look at yourself and declare to yourself, I am going to be a virgin, stay pure, practice celibacy until God sends me the right man or woman for my life. Be it if I'm a woman, send me a man. Be it if I'm a man, send me a woman. Amen. That's a whole other discussion. I am going to wait until that moment because I am not going to allow the culture or the pressure of my school, the pressure 
of my friends and all those things. My sons are athletes. And so there is a lot of locker room talk that goes on. And I say, son, take it from your daddy who's been in locker rooms. 99.99.8 is lying. You're sitting there on Monday. We used to practice football on Monday nights at Tech. And you're sitting there on Monday nights and somebody is referring to the two parties that happened Friday and Saturday. And you were at the parties. And then when you hear the stories that's being told, you're thinking, man, how did I miss that? I didn't see that and I was there. And I stayed till the lights came on. They lied. And then this is the trick of the enemy because you hear what they say, then you got to be big and bad and bold enough to go do what they doing or what they say they're doing, but what they're saying is a lie. But then you actually go out there and get it or do it. Then the next thing you know, you at the infirmary on campus. Or trying to talk somebody to go to Planned Parenthood where they abort children, which is a whole nother conversation in itself. We got to stay sexually pure. Abortion among African Americans, it is the highest of every culture in this country. The highest. And we are the lowest people. We don't have as many people as anybody in the United States of America. No Latinos, no Caucasians, Asian group, when they grouping together, we are the lowest amount of people in the country, but we have the highest abortion rate. We have to make sure that we keep ourselves sexually pure before God. God will use that. God will use that. Do not allow the culture, do not allow what's going on, do not allow people on the outside dictate to you who you are going to be. Say, God, I am going to live for you.